everyone goes down the smart cities route. It's like, actually, okay, you've got a smart cities, now what are you going to do with it? What's the outcome that you're trying to achieve? It's actually about connecting, you know, a connected citizen, connecting them to each other, connecting them to information, connecting them to the, the city. Yeah. It's about the community. Welcome to the Live Data Podcast by Satori, where Live Data thought leaders, developers, and entrepreneurs share their insights on the latest trends and technologies. I'm Sariti Yakovovitz. And I'm Randy Kassar. Let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Live Data Podcast. I'm your co-host, Randy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sarit. <laughs> Sarit. Uh, so welcome. And today we have a, a great show, and we're excited to welcome Martin. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Randy. Hi, Sarit. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So we're super excited to, to have you here. Um, so Martin, uh, tell us uh, who you are and what do you do? I'm Martin McMillan. Um I just try and do interesting stuff, really. Um, what I do at the moment. Interesting stuff, all <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, well, I mean. That's cool. Life's right. short. You've got to enjoy it. <laughs> um, currently, I'm the director of Connected Journeys um, for a government agency in New Zealand called the Transport Agency. Okay. Uh, and what Connected Journeys really means is, you know, the pending digitization of the transport system. My job is to come in and uh, look at that, put a bit of a strategy in place, and uh, actually start to drive cha- change. Um around the transport system, which is uh, no easy task. Yeah, no pressure there. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been uh, in New Zealand for a while? Uh, is that where you grew up? No, I grew up in Wales, oh, uh, okay. in the UK. I came over to New Zealand in 2010. Um, Travelled from there. It's been a base, really, for the last uh, um, seven years or so. And um, yeah, it's a, it's, better, it's a great place to live. Cool. Uh, how did you get uh, uh, where you are now in terms of kind of the, the tech Technology that you're working on. How did you kind of learn it? How did you? Uh, was there a previous job that you you were at that you kind of learned stuff from, or or was this kind of learn on your own? It's actually quite funny because uh, <laughs> all right, well, we know, love humor. Most of the uh, you know it's great to have MBAs and degrees and things, but actually most of the knowledge that I pick up today was knowledge that I, I used today was knowledge I picked up in my teenage years, all right. um, playing around with the computers, messing around with Objective C, C plus plus, um, you know messing around with code, really, and just knowing what goes where and what Wait, you can so do. so Objective-C was your first uh, programming Objective language? C. Yeah, well, C, Visual Basic. Visual Basic, yeah. yeah. I yeah. also heard that yeah. you have a military background. Does it help? Yeah, uh, having a military background helps, absolutely. Uh, help me focus. I was mm-hmm. just uh, uh, a misbehaving kid, really, when I was young. Uh, <laughs> playing with computers, breaking bro- brothers' computers, fixing family and friends' computers. Uh, my dad's engineering business had a, a single com- computer. It was a big computer. Um, 386, uh, 33 hertz, I think. Horrible big beast of a computer. <laughs> but um, yeah, my job was to fix it when it used to didn't work very well. Um, yeah, my dad used to work at Hill Packard, and so he would bring home all the all the gear. I mean, we even had a touchscreen back in like, uh, I think it was like the mid 80s. Back in the day, um, we used to do like basic programming and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My father was a mechanic, so uh, I didn't know how to operate a computer, but I know how to fix some stuff in the car. <laughs> I do That's not also know useful. how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of cars, um, tell us about the state of transportation today in New Zealand. I'd say it's pretty on par with the rest of the world, really. We're all just figuring out what, what it's going to be now. There's no doubt. And uh, even the biggest naysay would say that change is coming and it's going to come very quickly. Um, we're, everything's really running silos. You know, we've got a public transport system. Um, we've got quite low vehicle occupancy, you know, 1.4 people per vehicle on average, um, which isn't great. 
um, but it's pretty on par with the rest of the world. High, high percentage of car ownership in New Zealand. Uh, I think it's nearly two cars per family, uh, if not more than two cars per family. And, you know, what you'd call disruptive, well, I don't really see it as disruptive, but disrupt new services come into the market like Uber, rideshare companies, uh, other modes of um, shared mobility coming in. They've now been around long enough where they're a credible mode of transport in their own right rather than just a novelty, as, you know, quite a few people saw them a few years ago. Right, mainstream consumer. Yeah, it is. a Whether, you know, questions around Uber, Lyft, whether they've got long-term sustainable business models, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, totally. Rideshare's here to stay. Yeah. Um, that's for sure. No, no, definitely it is. Um, in terms of uh, what, what you're seeing uh, within New Zealand, so you've been there uh, since 2010. Mm -hmm. um, what were you, from the project that you've been working on um, in, in using Satori, what was some of the problems that you were trying to, uh, to, to solve, uh, what were consumers needing and how, how could you fit within, uh, within that to, to help them out? The problem that we were trying to solve was, is, is quite a simple one. Really. People felt like they must have a car to get around. Um, so what we've done with Satori is really building a platform, what we're calling the mobility marketplace. Mm -hmm. Uh, and um, we've got one application set on it at the moment, which is a platform called Choice, which launches on the 24th of August. And, you know, um, the guys from Satori have really been embedded with our local development team to build that product, which has been phenomenal. But really what that gives our customers is choice, uh, how they move around. It's got, you know, all the real-time live data for the buses, the water taxis, the ski shuttles, the, the all the main taxi operators, Um carpool providers, rideshare providers, all in one single application, and also the, um, avail the availability to actually pay for all in one place, even if you're using different legs. So your first part of your journey might be the bus, and then you may get into a rideshare service, um, but you'll pay for That's it. That's like always. reality now, right? I mean, people don't That's just people go want. from point A to B. They're like hopping from place to place, right? Yeah, and transport and, and transportation really is no different to going to a shop. You know, if you went down to your Walgreens and you had to pay for your Colgate, Colgate toothpaste and then go pay for a can of Coke separately, you'd be like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, Transport needs to be the same. It just needs to be integrated. They're just products that are consumed from a marketplace. They're very important products, and they need to be made sure that they're operated safely, but customers just want to consume them uh, as they consume normal day-to-day -day commodities. Yeah. So that's interesting because the problem you're trying to solve is too many cars and make people uh, use public transportation. And the way you solve it is just making connection, connected journeys, make it easier for people to move from one leg to another. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you look at um, the real value of Ram Rideshare, it was the experience. It was very easy. Um, you know, you walk away and it's paid for. You know, you know, you can see roughly where it is. That still tri trips me out when I just kind of get out of the car and and I don't need to give the guy cash or swipe a credit card. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that's the the best thing. The price, um, the price, you probably charge a lot much, much, much more, and still people would still use it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's the experience. We've got to tie and take that experience and replicate it across all modes of transport, so it becomes the standard because that's what our customers expect right now. Um, so we've got a long way to go in terms of public transport and other, you know, like even paying for your car. You know, you pay for a lot of your fuel, uh, a lot of your taxes at the fuel pump or through your license plates. Um, that needs to be done on a user pays approach as well. So you're paying for your drive, the privilege of driving, driving your car should be the same experience as it would be paying for a ride share or a public transport experience yeah. integrated. 
Uh, in general, uh, for people that haven't been in New Zealand, mm-hmm. transportation uh, compared, say, to the United States, I mean, is it on, like, for me, when I think of transportation, I think of, of Europe, and because and, and, that's where I grew up part of my life. Do you, for, from you living around the world, uh, mm-hmm. how do you see uh, New Zealand transportation uh, now and, and, and towards the future? Uh, where we're at now is the main difference. It depends where you go, really. If you go to rural New Zealand, you know, you want to watch for the sheep running around on the roads. <laughs> uh, but in more of a major urban areas, you know, similar to, I'd say, you know, your Category B or Category C cities in yeah. in the US, uh, very much road-based transport. Um, but you, now you're seeing it become multimodal, ac- active transport, you know, cycling and walking are becoming, mm. um, going through a bit of a renaissance re- re- at the moment. In New Zealand, we're seeing big interest in you know electric bikes, electric bicycles, yeah. um, conventional cycling. We've just invested a lot of money in new cycleways. Um, modernization of the rail fleet in in Auckland. So we have a, a a metro rail system in Auckland, heavy rail, which is you know well used. And um, yeah, the scale's much smaller compared to San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the commute times are nowhere near <laughs> like what you do in San Francisco, yeah. and you know, and the capacity that we do have on the the, the highways is the, um, far smaller than what you have in San Francisco Bay sure. Area as well. But it's the same stuff. You're trying to move things from point A to point B. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I yeah. just try and look at it as a network, really, just like any network, whether it be a computer network, you're using packet, you're moving packets from one place to another. Uh, we've got to try and do it as most effectively uh, and quickly and safely as possible, and. Uh, that's that's the land transport system, right? And you know, I wonder why using Satori. What what Satori solves here in the equation? Also, so Satori is for me just without like sounding like a, a sales pitch. Without sounding <laughs> like a sales <laughs> pitch. Okay, so yeah, right. I mean, we know we we prepped that one. Uh, people could probably tell, but yeah. But really, I mean, from your perspective, from what you're seeing um, in terms of solutions out there, in terms of what you're trying to solve, uh, you know, what um, you know, why was uh, Satori? Um, you know, helpful in this situation? Um, just ease of use. Um, great portal. Um, very, um, the high throughput, low latency is the real um, golden bullet for me is I know that I can start using Satori today for the mobility uh, marketplace, but I know the, there's the built-in scales there for us to actually look at it for other things like dynamic pricing of the transport system, which to do that, you'd need to know where uh, vehicles are in you know in, mm. in li- uh, live and also around um how you build fit for purpose civil infrastructure in the future things like traffic lights intersections prioritization at a really binary level it's just messaging instead of you know a green light is go and a red light is stop um we mm. can diversify our messages by actually broadcasting those messages to vehicles whether they're connected vehicles connected autonomous vehicles or autonomous vehicles um it gives us the ability to do that in the future so really what we want to be able to do is start to build partnerships today that help us deliver mobility marketplace which is the shop for everything that gets purchased from um then we allow we can change the prices and provide the back of house i.e the infrastructure that allows us to dynamically change the transport system as we see fit all right so in a word future proof Future proof. I, I like that. Um, uh, in terms of, um, you know, we, we talked about support story and what you're trying to use it for. So, from your perspective, the, the success of, of this program, of this launch, uh, is it more 
on the on the consumer end uh, to in terms of user adoption and in terms of you know their success. I assume that's what the, the success eventually is, right? I'm sure there's some metrics and data points that you're looking at to, for uptime and stuff like that. Um, and tell us a little bit about kind of what you're thinking about how you vision. How, what's your vision of success? Well, the vision of success for me is that we don't have to build apps. You know, we've built an app now. Yeah. Um, really, what I want to do is take all of our country's transportation data. Uh, and share it with the development community so they can pick it up and build apps far greater and uh, uh, far quicker and, uh, and having a community of people innovating on those apps. That's really what, that's what success looks like to me, not having you know, a DevOps team within a government agency trying to do it. Yeah. One second. So Martin, I'm, I'm curious to know, and I actually asked that before, uh, before the, we went uh, on air. Uh, are there other cities in the world that you look at and you say, this is the model or this is the kind of model we want to have in New Zealand? Or are you the first to do that? Yeah, I'd say there was. Um, but uh, maybe I'm being arrogant. But I'd say how our, um, our thinking's probably evolved um, mm -hmm. beyond where, where, where we looked at as benchmarks before. And um, that's fine. It's, it's only thinking, right? You've still got to bring it to reality. So that's where the, the difficult work comes in. But um, yeah, um, London, London's a good city. Mm -hmm. You know, this um, actually Portland uh, are doing some great things around mobility as well. So that's a really interesting one to see. So if you're in the Portland area, definitely go and have a check out what, what Portland are doing around mobility. Um, Dubai, Dubai doing a lot of thinking. So you get what you're finding at the moment is you know there's lots of changes coming, and each city is kind of taking certain areas. So Dubai uh, is really looking at how you know uh, a 2D transport system will become a 3D transport system with the introduction of like drone corridors and uh, flying drones, on-demand airless, uh, on-demand automated transport, but in the air. So that's really what Dubai is known for. So that's where I'd look for for that. Um, Mobility, Portland or, or, or London, also um, Finland, uh, Reykjavik in Finland are doing some work um, with Mass Global. So yeah, it's, um, it's early days, but yeah, they're the places that I would look to. And what do you think are the biggest challenges? Is it the orchestrating the infrastructure, have sensors everywhere? Is it having the buy-in of the partners? Oh, it's definitely not infrastructure. Um, and it's definitely not technology, it's people. People. Yeah, uh, people getting people to play nice, uh, getting people <laughs> mm -hmm. to share information with one another, um, empathy between lots of different organizations with various different drivers, bureaucracy. Um, yeah, that's that's where it all fails, really. So you, you've got to really start to build those relationships early on and not going into anything with an agenda. You go in there and say, how can we just make this better and co-create something in partnership? What I find a lot of the time is people always try and run with their own agenda before they even get people together. So it's very important to have a blank piece of paper and just say, hey, guys, can we, how can we make this better and do it with them, not to them? And I think that's how you start to build, you know, smart, connected citizens, really. Um, smart cities is all about the infrastructure. Is it, have you seen it at times where it's more of a grassroots, where the, the consumers are like, man, I need this. I am, you know, is, is that sometimes a, a motivation for, for, uh, for groups that you work with? Yeah, um, yes. Yeah, so cy the um, cycling, uh, urban cycling program was essentially a grassroots program, yeah. which was uh, you know the cyclist community saying, you know, we want fit for purpose cycleways, fit for purpose infrastructure, uh, and you know um, 
government listened and they went away and invested a lot in cycleways up in Auckland and around the country actually and it's now starting to reap dividends from a social wellness point of view but also from a transport system point of view yeah awesome but um, it's a difficult one especially around mobility because you know a lot of the feeds are commercial feeds so you can make the bus information available and you know cities have been doing that for a long time where they make their feeds available and right. people go and create more uh deeper features around buses but it all comes down to contractual arrangements and you know startups the development community they they can't really get through those yeah. you're dealing with big very big organizations been around uh, forever yeah gotcha um so one of the things uh that we've been thinking about and how this is related to is you know the, sh the sharing economy and and you know how um that has seen a a surgence of course in the US and, and around the world um how does that affect uh transportation oh massively i think you know i probably i've just bought my last car I'll never, I'll never buy another car again uh and that's that's great you really think you won't buy another I don't, car i'll never buy another car you might might lease one okay uh or subscribe. You still own a car. You will still own. Subscribe to a car service. Subscribe. Actually, I won't lease one. I will subscribe. Interesting. And, you know, risk will drive that, especially yeah. as level four autonomy starts to come to the uh, commercial uh, environment, because you know the liability will likely transfer to the manufacturer, and they'll want to be able to control that product. So if you know if you don't take it for a service or don't upgrade the software when you need to, they'll just lock you out of your car. They can do that. When you're when you lease it, but when you own the car outright, it's a great way to annoy your customers, right? <laughs> um, so you'll see commercial models change, um, and you also see, you know, people operating and purchasing, sort of buying that second holiday home in the Hamptons or you know in Auckland or Queenstown, depending on where you want it. You may find yourself investing in a fleet of autonomous vehicles to go and drive around the city, um, but you're going to need a marketplace to put those into, and that's what we think mobility as a service uh, will give us, um, you know, which is you know all about live data if you look to the future i mean whenever i think about the future i uh remember the back to the future movies mm -hmm. so i'm still looking for uh, to have the flying delorean at some point <laughs> <laughs> it's coming but, it's coming yeah. i mean if you had to you know your greatest uh most craziest vision you you mentioned 3d uh transportation in dubai mm -hmm. so how would it be like i mean like how far are we looking oh i don't know 10 years. 10 years. Oh, uh, honestly, I think 10 years from now, you're going to have um, flying electric drones um, or vertical takeoff or landing-based vehicles with ranges of about 300, 400 kilometers. Uh, flying 300 kilometers an hour can carry two people. You'll be able to hail them on demand, uh, two designated areas. You know, if you think, it, if you are honestly, um, if you would have asked me five years ago around, you know, things like multi-story car parks, I remember one of the mayors of a city asking me, you know, do we, are we going to need to build more, more, more multi-story car parks? I say, no, nah, no, nah, you don't need to bother anymore. Um, well, actually, if you look at them now, these multi-story car parks are going to be re-engineered and reclassified. There's areas where you'll land these little aircrafts on the top of them. You know, underneath there, there'll be in your connected services, whether that be rideshare or taxis or autonomous vehicles, for example, waiting to pick you up and shuttle you to your final destination. That's what the transport system looks like for me in my head today, actually, not 10 years <laughs> away. That's where you get frustrated, right? You're trying to bring it to life. But yeah, it's multimodal. People won't need to own the vehicle. It's a very big expenditure. Uh, and if you look at how the market particularly operates, 
you know, 20 years, even 10 years ago, right? You, you go five years ago, you go out and buy a vehicle, big capital investment. Mm -hmm. As soon as you drive it off the forecourt, it'll depreciate. And it'll just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until you sold it. Even today, right, you can go and buy a car. Um, but you don't even have to buy it. You can go and lease a car. Um, you know, it consistently gets better and better with over-the-air software updates. So, you know, consistently. You can do things today that it couldn't do when you bought it. You, you know, that's... Five years ago, that was laughable. You would never think about yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's definitely a software-driven right. world. And then even, um, you know, things like Truro, where you can go on and put your car on there and people take your car away and hire it for a weekend. I do that with with one of my cars back in New Zealand. It actually, gen actually generates re revenue for me now. So an asset that used to just sit there and depreciate is actually yeah. now flipped around 180 and turned, actually making me money. That's crazy. So it, yeah, that's, so it just shows you that amazing. people talk about these yeah. things happening, but it's, it's, it's already happened. What is that it's service? I haven't heard of that service before. Turo. So thanks, Turo. It's a great advert for you. It does exist here. That's how I found it. Okay. When I used to first start coming over to um, Palo Alto, I used to hire cars. So I thought once I'm going to hire a, um, a Tesla. So I found this thing, Turo, and, and uh, hired a Tesla through it. But oh. now I use it all the time. Sweet. Nice. I grew up in, uh, in Switzerland uh, for a bit. Uh, and so... Um, when we moved over there, mm -hmm. uh, we had our, uh, our our 1976 Volvo station wagon sitting in a storage unit for five years. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. I could have exactly. made some money. I could have made some money back in the days. And the great thing is, you know, one of the things about, you've got to make sure, one of the things we've got to be very conscious of as a development community is, got to, is about social access. Mm -hmm. You know, on Turo, you can go and hire a car for $12 a day, um, which makes it, you know, accessible for people who don't have lots of money to go away and do things. Like Airbnb um, for cars. That's yeah. yeah, you easy. know, if you want a banged out old car, you go on Turo and you pick one up for us. The lowest I've seen is $8. You know, and that's, you know, it's great. It's great to know that people can get access to mobility because uh, it's not a very nice world to live in when you could, you don't have the freedom of moving around. We all like to be able to move around. So we've got to make sure it's socially uh, just. And that's, you know, yeah. one of the yeah. dilemmas we've got as we digitize the transport system. Uh, so... We talked about your background early on, uh, but we didn't go all the way back to uh, what you were studying um, in, in school. Uh, yeah. You studied civil engineering, is that right? On day release from a family business. So I didn't do the real school experience. I got to go to university one or two days a week, um, sit in the classes, and then I'd be back out on the construction site with the family business, um, which was good, but I kind of missed all the fun bits. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, but I did study civil engineering. And uh, yeah, if you like soils... That's <laughs> a thing for you. So, I mean, the reason I ask it is, uh, you know, I have, a, I have two sons, uh, three and five, and, and, you know, they're trying to figure out what they want to be right now. There's uh, firemen and, and, and sheriffs. Mm -hmm. um, but for what, for what you're doing, um, do new things need to be taught at, at the, say, at the university level? Um, are there new uh, um, um, uh, topics that need to be taught? Uh, what are your thoughts around kind of the, the state of education uh, in relation to to smart cities? Uh, I mean, yeah, it does need to change. There's, there's, we 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 see that through a lot of the graduate schemes where people, uh, regardless of what university they're coming from, they don't really have the skills that we need them to have. Uh, they have to learn it on the job. Um, and really, you either pull, you either go for someone who's really strong in infrastructure, or you go for someone from a computer sciences background. Yeah, but um. For me, if I was to do it all over again, I actually probably wouldn't go to school. I'd just get out there and do it. Um, that's my best learning from my life is you just, uh, you know, 
codes of language. You can learn it at home. Um, yeah. And, you know, the best place for me is to learn it is by applying it in the real world. And uh, once I started doing that, I became far more competent and uh, started to do things and deliver things. Having said that, I think engineering, any type of engineering, whether it's civil, structural, or computer engineering, um, just helps you figure out problems um, and take, helps you to approach to actually understand what the, the root causes are and then actually engineer some options to actually work your way out of them. So... I think that's a great, um, that's a great skill to have, and that's why you see so many engineers move into other industries like finances, the yeah. stock markets, and other things because that is the core skill. Really, it's not about the soils and the geotechnical and the structural stuff that you spend far too long reading in books and mm. sitting in classrooms studying. It's actually about that problem solving thing for me. So, so just yeah, so just do problem solving skills. Um, okay. Yeah, that's a great, great advice. Um, before we get on to our, our fast response questions or quick response, however you want to call it, um, to leave kind of a, a note of uh, of what people um, that are wanting to build a smart city, say mm -hmm. there's um, someone in the government, someone on the consultant side that um, has this project, what is one of the first steps that, uh, that they should do? And we talked a little bit about kind of building the relationships. Mm -hmm. That's very important. But... What are your thoughts around the kind of the first steps uh, that they should go about doing to to start this project? Talk to New Zealand. <laughs> uh, no, um, yeah, but seriously, yeah, talk to New Zealand. No, um, really, just don't go down a rabbit hole and think you can create the solution all on your own, uh, and you know, spend a lot of time actually um, developing. Actually, go and test your thinking with people first. Go and meet with people in transport. Uh, people across cities and governments and actually just have a conversation with them validate your thinking before you go down the uh the roadmap of uh, the, the the rabbit hole of development because i must admit it gets a little bit depressing at times when you go and sit in into some pitches that we get and we get pitched to all the time and it's the solutions to problems that don't exist half the time um, yeah go out there and actually understand the problems that your cities your transportation agencies and authorities are actually trying to solve uh, and then work with them to actually pitch some prototypes and ideal environment is where you can actually co-create with them. And that means bringing people on who probably don't have the same level of skills that you do, um, but they have a different way of thinking. They're very much infrastructure th thinking and they will balance, you know, your digital, de you know, your development community thinking out as well and uh, takes everybody on the journey. What government agencies are really looking for is um, they don't handle unknowns very well. Um, so we can't, you know, it's, or we don't know what this looks like. Just have a best guess. At least give them an idea, even if you know it's probably not going to be a hundred percent right. Yeah. But yeah, they, they're not really wired to think about unknowns. It just freaks people out. They need to know. But that's one of the big things I would really think about. Is just really think your idea through, do it with them, um, and have a best guess. And when they ask you a quencher, don't say I don't know. Is you know, we don't really know, but we think it could look like this or it could yeah. look like that. Mm -hmm. Put some options on the table, but just saying, well, let us try it, but we don't know. They'll just run for the hills. Yeah. They're, they're accountable to the taxpayer uh, and, um, you know, they need to know what's going on. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Sri, you want to start off with the, uh, the fast questions? Yes. So are you ready? Mm. Good. Okay. What was your, what was your first job? Uh, putting bolts together uh, for my dad's constructions company. How old were you then? About 12. Okay. What is your favorite mode of transportation? Got to be flight, right? 
you can't be jumping in a little Cessna C172. Sorry, are we talking about a Cessna? Or are we yeah. talking okay. Anything that's in the air, I'm a keen aviator. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sweet. And... <laughs> Uh, this last one is yes. mine. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you should ask it. <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce it. <laughs> 90s grunge rock or 70s classic rock? Could you give, an, give us an example of so, that? Uh, grunge rock, rock uh, could be Nirvana, uh, could be uh, uh, you know, Soundgarden, uh, a little later in the grunge rock scene. Uh-huh. Uh, 70s classic rock uh, could be uh, Simon and Gar- Garfunkel. <laughs> I'm not sure uh, he, he was alive back then. So. Yeah, definitely <laughs> wasn't like alive for hey, no, I mean, <laughs> But still, just trying to get a sense of uh, your your musical taste. I don't know you have to sing a song for me. Uh, you um, want me to sing a song? I do have <laughs> a microphone right now. So could, uh, <laughs> no, save us all the pain. Save us all the pain. Yeah. <laughs> um, Good idea. And you don't want to hear me sing. I would say Night is Grunge Rock. Actually, I don't know. So what, See, what's what's your favorite band? I'll, I'll change My the question. My favorite band? Uh, Foo Fighters are good. Okay. Uh, good. I don't really have a favorite band. I like some music. Depends what mood you're in, right? Yeah. You know, you need a good set of headphones, good computer, get some coding going on and get some good upbeat motivational music going. That works for yeah. me. Build a new world. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Build a new world. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you for the time. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank uh, you very much, Martin. No, no worries. It's great having you here. And uh, we will... Um, Look forward to all the awesome things uh, in terms of transportation and in terms of uh, smart cities in New Zealand. Um, so thanks again. Appreciate mm. it. Hey, just on the smart cities piece, before I go, final yeah. note, word of wisdom, is like, you know, everyone goes down the smart cities route. It's like, actually, okay, you've got a smart cities, now what are you going to do with it? What's the outcome that you're trying to achieve? It's actually about connecting, you know, a connected citizen connecting them to each other, connecting them to information, and connecting them to the community. city. Yeah. It's about the community. The problem is, like, smart cities things to me, it just sounds like a big brother surveillance thing, <laughs> yeah. um, which is definitely not what it should be. It's about providing a better service to the citizens, i.e. the customers of the city. Um, so I'm always a little bit uh, sheepish around the word smart cities. Yeah, no, I, I think it is definitely needs to be the sole focus. And when, yeah. when things get kind of crazy and out of scope, like you need to go back and think, all right, is this for the right that's right. right yeah but no it's been great that's no, been awesome thanks awesome all right well thanks again and uh we'll talk to you soon Where's- for those of us those of you who uh are listening to this for the first time definitely check out uh the live data podcast on itunes and rate us and if you want more information about satori and want to learn more about what's happening in new zealand go to satori.com any uh, closing remarks, uh, Sri? It's been a pleasure having you here. Uh, as for the podcast, if you have any ideas or um, you want to be interviewed, reach out to us uh, via our website. Yep. Okay. All right, cool. Thanks. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you.